Uh, this morning, we're going to get into a brand new series on the book of Ruth. It's the eighth book of the Old Testament, and it's right over there, right after Judges. Uh, so if you, and it, if you still can't find it, just go ahead. Go to the front. To the, they got this thing called the index, and just look in there and find the page number and go there. And that, man, that'd be great. But I hope you brought a copy of the Bible. If not, just turn to the person next to you and take theirs. No, 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 don't, don't do that. That might create a, a stir in here. But uh, bring your Bibles. We're going to be walking through the book of Ruth for five weeks. And uh, here's, here's what I know. It's only 80 verses. Uh, you can read it in a short sitting. I've had many people say, man, I've been reading Ruth. I, I've read ahead. Man, that's, I, I say, hey, I commend you. Read it at least once every week and just see what God says to you. I'm, I'm going to try to give it the best that I can. And then I know there's a lot. That's the thing about God's word. It is inexhaustible. There'll be so much more uh, that, that I won't even touch on that you could uh, uh, mine for yourself and study. But I, I hope that our time is going to be incredibly meaningful and, uh, man, I'm just excited about getting into this uh, small little book tucked away over there. Uh, this passage that Hannah read a moment ago, uh, it was read at my wedding ceremony when Don and I got married uh, in 1979. We have a picture of this with a Bible open, and it's open to the book of Ruth in chapter 1, verse 16. I, I just, I've always loved this passage. For all you young girls out there that long to be married one day, I would like, get lipstick, no, don't get lipstick, get a highlighter, highlight this verse right now. This is a great verse for you to uh, include in your uh, wedding ceremony and to, to be a part of what God would have for you. So the book of Ruth, uh, just uh, a great story. Hey, let, let's pray, and I just want to uh, jump in this uh, with you together. Father, I am grateful for this morning, for the, the word, and God, I pray the word of God would speak. Lord, just move me out of the way right now. Let Jesus become more. Let him become great. Let me decrease. Let me die that you can live. Father, I pray the word would come alive off the pages of Scripture. And God, I pray you would birth something in our hearts this morning because we've chosen to submit to you in the name of Christ. Amen. I've called this Finding Hope in Hopeless Situations. You know, preachers like to talk about hope because it's, it's a great word. It's a, it's a word that is powerful. It's, a, it's, a, it's a, something that we all need. I, I pray often for you and for myself that there will be a fresh infusion of hope. Real hope comes from Christ. And in this story, we, we find a very hopeless situation that we'll walk through, but it gets a little better. But I, I want to say it this way. Where do you go to for hope? Where do you go? Now, you don't have to cry out, yell out the answer. I'm just curious. Who do you rely on? In the midst of your disappointment, in the midst of being devastated over some situation, frustrated, bitter, angry, yes, even resentful, where do you go when you find yourself hopeless? Uh, in the world that we live, in the economy that we find ourselves, a lot of people are growing more hopeless than I've ever seen. Don and I were talking about this the other day. I really don't understand why the churches across America are not filling up to overflowing capacity because of people looking for hope. Because we have found the answer in Jesus Christ, and the church said, and they're not. I don't know where they're going to find hope. They might find a little temporary hope or hope in a bottle or hope in a drug or hope in a relationship, or, and then that's usually going south. I ask you when I talk about hope, 
Do you blame God? Can, can we just be honest today? Do you ever blame God? The other day somebody told me, I blame God for this. I hear it all the time, and I, I think our God's so great. I think he's fine that we can be raw and honest, and, and we can say, Lord, why has this come my way? Why is this my lot? Why is this my situation? Now, I think when we get stuck there, that's where it's extremely dangerous, and that grows into great bitterness. But you know, you've heard me say before, there's three positions. You're moving into a storm, you're in the middle of a storm, or you're coming out of a storm. But you only got those three. So this morning, if you're not in a storm, praise God. If you just came out of a storm, are you thankful? Yeah, I heard a couple of you said, amen, you, might, you probably just got out of one. You know, here's what I know from the book of Ruth decisions affect us how many of you feel like your parents decisions affected you to this point of your life you know <laughs> okay some of you are laughing okay maybe i don't want to know about that one <laughs> but our parents decisions do affect us and you that are young parents and wanting to be parents and you that are parents and you that are grandparents and maybe you're great grandparents you know how many of you believe that your neighbor's decisions affect you they do how many of you believe that your boss's decisions affect you? Hey, get this woman a mic. Here we go. How many of you believe politicians' decisions affect you? You know, just decisions. Decisions never happen in a vacuum. In this story, we read about Imelech. And what he does is he makes a decision. He makes a decision to leave Bethlehem and to go somewhere only he only traveled 50 miles only not, not a far piece but when you're walking or you got a camel or something that's a pretty good trip you know but he went down to the land of Moab to the Moabites and we're, we're going to kind of unpack this this morning but I think about decisions of others affect you write that down in the side today decisions of others affect me you don't make decisions that only affect you when decisions are made on your behalf or you make them or somebody makes them for you, sometimes the hope gets misplaced. In this story in Scripture, there's, there's three women. Their name is Naomi, Ruth, and Oprah. No, Opa. I just thought I'd say Oprah, see if anybody's listening. The, the, these three women. One is a Jewish woman, and her name was Naomi. And there were two that were Moabites. They were, they were foreign women. And we read about them in Scripture. And these women, as we get into the story, we'll find that their, their lives are weathered. Their, their faces are probably wrinkled. Life has been hard. They're left destitute. Things are just really, really tough for them. They're, they're left penniless. At, at one point, they find themselves standing in front of a tomb. Naomi and Imelech, they had two sons. And their sons had two wives. And when they moved to Moab, let me tell you about how decisions affect you. This is how critical this is. They, they moved off to Moab. And when you go off to Moab, guess what? You go to, you go to Moab school. You play in the Moab Little League. You do everything in Moab, and you get a Moab girlfriend. And us that are married, when you have a Moab girlfriend, it could lead to a Moab wife see this decision greatly affected the future of these people 
And I just want us to see, the. if I just took up another offering right now, somebody asked me the other day, said, man, you preached so hard last week on stewardship, there's conviction all over the room, we thought you should have taken a second offering. Well, why didn't you say something? <laughs> we, we did go over budget, hallelujah. Let's do it again, church, amen? So these boys, they're, 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 uh, they're just a mess. It's 12th century B.C., they own no property. The, these women get found alone, there's not a great system to provide for them. They're just in a, in, a, in a tough, difficult place. I don't know where you're at this morning. It could be that you're in a tough place, and then you, you read on through a few chapters, and we'll be walking through it, and she's out there collecting the, har, the barley there in the fields, and these kernels just to live on. There's tragedy everywhere. But earlier, back up, these women all find themselves in front of a tomb. It's about 10 years they've got marriage. But you know what they don't have? They don't have any kids. Naomi and Imelech don't have any grandkids. There's nobody to carry on the name. There's nobody. You know, I, I bet you Imelech and Naomi thought, you know what? One day we're going to provide, but one day our kids are going to take care of us or our grandkids are going to take care of us. But here's these three women, and they find themselves in front of a grave. The men of their life are dead, the, the ones that had been providers. So the future is dark and bleak, to say the least. And that, that's a picture sometimes of 2013. You know, some people think, man, the future doesn't seem very bright. Let me tell you, the future is always bright in Jesus Christ. There is always a hope in the risen King. Because this ain't it. We've got heaven prepared for those that love him and await his appearing. Now, I don't, I don't, I'm not some prophet that I can tell you, hey, I, next month, next quarter, next year, man, I certainly pray things turn around. How many of you want things to turn around economically really quick? Yeah. And I, I don't know. A lot of people, ah, yeah, you know, they're wrapped up on sheets, sitting on roofs, waiting for Jesus to come. And I don't think that's the answer either. And other people, they're just a pessim, eternal pessimist, and who wants to be around them? They're like, man, they just, woe is me, woe is you. Yeah, you know, like, hey, go home. I don't need to hear you. Okay. But the future's dark. This book, let me, let me say it to this. I've got two daughters. Going to have a granddaughter, any? almost said any minute. I don't want to be prophetic. Any, any time. <laughs> but she's close. But I want to tell you something about Pastor Keith. I was an athlete, loved to lift weights. I'm a man's man. Like me, oh, I can't wait to get off this fast and get a big piece of meat again. You know what I'm saying? But I want to tell you a little secret today. I like chick flicks. I know. I've, I've just ruined it for you. Now, they're not my favorite movie, but when you have all girls in the house, I know one time they, they wouldn't invite me. My feelings got hurt one time. I said, y'all didn't invite me. I want to go. But let me tell you, when you read Ruth, I just want you to write out beside it. Chick flick. Ruth is an 80-verse chick flick. Let me tell you why. It's full of dialogue. There ain't nothing blowing up. There's no great king rising to power. There's none of that. There's just dialogue. I hear it in my study all the time, women coming in. He just doesn't talk. We just want to dialogue. And men, do, and don't raise your hand because I want you to go home in one piece. But the bottom line is, here it is right here. This, this book, the first chapter, there's seasons. How many believe there's seasons to life? I do. Ecclesiastes says there's a season, there's a time for everything. And in the first chapter, the season is what? 
winter, dark, cold, bleak, hard. Things are, things are not doing real good. So here's a story. It's a little foreign girl, Ruth. She comes out of paganism, idolatry, into the land of Moab here. And what must we endure in life? Let me just suggest some things this morning. Cancer, car wrecks, death, losses, bankruptcy, they all stack up. You ever mourn the loss of something broken? You ever, has anybody ever mourned a shattered dream? Sure. A lot of people have mourned shattered dreams. And this story speaks to us that God works in the midst of difficult situations. Let's look there. Just look at your Bibles there in chapter 1. In the days when the judges ruled in Israel, a severe famine came upon the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah left his home and went to live in the country of Moab. They left Bethlehem. I want you to write out beside Bethlehem. Bethlehem means the house of bread. It's really ironic. They leave the house of God. They leave southern Israel. They leave Judah. They leave the house of bread, because there is no bread in the cupboard. There's, there's a famine. And then look what it says. It says, he left there. The man's name was who? Imelech. And his wife was Naomi, and their two sons were Malon and Kilion. And they were Ephratites from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. And when they reached Moab, they settled there. And then Imelech died, and Naomi was left with her two sons. And the two sons married Moabite women. I already told you. And one married a woman named, not Oprah, Orpah. It's, we've, we've been messed up by Oprah. There it is, Orpah. And, and the other woman was named Ruth, which the book's titled after. But about 10 years later, both Malon and Kilion died, and this left Naomi alone with her two sons for her husband. So they were, um, they were empty. Life as they knew it had changed greatly. Your husband, your father, dies, checks out, gets called home. Life, life changes. Let's, there's there's um, this whole thing here. Uh, they're starving, there's famine in the land. But when they go to Moab, I, I want you to think about this for a minute. Imelech takes Naomi and the boys and says, we're going down to Moab. But let me tell you, unless you really study this and get it, you probably don't think about it. In Moab, there's no community. In Moab, there's no worship. In Moab, they worship foreign gods. They worship Satan, but they don't worship Jehovah. In Moab, it's just not a great place. But you know what? He probably got caught up like people do today. There was maybe a, a job opportunity down in Moab. There was maybe a bigger house down there. Maybe there was a little league that he thought his boys could play in and do well. Now I'm reading into the text a little bit. Don't, don't call me and go, would you read that in the Hebrew? No. Just trying to get you to, to get into the, to the walk of these people. Th things, are, things are hard. And these two sons, I want you to write down Malon. What does Malon mean? Names are important to God. Malon means sickly. That's his name. And if you don't think that's enough, his brother Kilion means diseased and delayed. Now, how would you like to say, hey, sick, hey, diseased, come on. We're going. I mean, that, that, and you know what Imelech means? My God is king. Now, it's easy to claim a title. It's easy to talk about that. It's another thing to have the, the life, the lifestyle that backs it up. So, my God is king sick and disease. What do you think Naomi means? Pleasant, lovely one. 
So my God is king marries pleasant one. And they have these two boys, and they, they go off to a foreign land, and they live there for 10 years. It's just, it's just a tough situation. Genesis 19, 30 through 38. Just write it down in the side. I want to give you a little history here. The Moabites, it's where Lot left and lost his water, lost his wife and his, and his daughters to carry on the lineage of this man. They both got their father drunk and they had sex with him. And both the girls went in. And then, then who comes out of that? They named the child. What's his name? One of the names? Moab. This is where the Moabites come from. Not a very good. Deuteronomy 23.3. Let me tell you what the Old Testament says. No Adamite or Moabite or any other descendants for ten generations may be admitted to the assembly of the Lord. They weren't accepted. They weren't invited into the temple. I mean, they, they were on the outside. So they go down there and they come back and they've got these women. Can you imagine? I just got to thinking about this. When, when they had the wedding... It's like, you know, when, when you have your wedding and you're expecting all your family and people come in and they gather in the sanctuary and it's a big family deal. From what I'm reading here in Scripture, they, they weren't allowed to come in. I mean, it's just, I mean, they married outside of God's provision of what God really wants for them. And I'm sure Naomi had great, uh, I mean, can you imagine when they would, if they would come visit, they can go to church together. That's a, how many think it's a big thing to go to church with your family? It's a huge thing. I wish there was a lot bigger thing that people always wanted to celebrate the goodness of the Lord. But you keep, keep building here with me. So in this story, up to, up to this point, judges have ruled. And then there's this king section. And here in Judges, the chapter, the book preceding this, chapter 17, verse 6. Judges 17, 6. Listen to this. In those days, Israel had no king. All the people did what seemed right in their own eyes. Let me read again. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. Does that sound like 2013 to you? People just did right according to what they felt. They didn't trust in the commands of God, the precepts of God, the oracles of God. I tell you, this could have been written for today. People just did what they thought was right. Lifestyles or whatever, we'll just do what we think is right. We won't go to God. We won't consult him. So it's a dangerous thing. Israel, there's something about Israel. Israel is God's chosen land. But Israel continues to repeat a pattern over and over and over as you read the Old Testament. Maybe current day. They're always in trouble. They're always doing something against the Lord. In verse 8 here, let's move down to verse 8. But on the way, Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back to your mother's homes, because you see the, the men have died, and may the Lord reward you for your kindness to your husbands and to me. In other words, I think Naomi had really come to love these girls. I think she cared about them. I, th I think she had a good relationship with her daughter-in-laws. And I think she said, look, there's nobody for you to marry here. You can't do that. So why don't you go on back to your homeland, and you can remarry there, and you won't have to stay by yourself, and, and it could all be good. In verse 9, go remarry among your own people, and you just keep moving here. But look here, verse 9. May the Lord bless you with the security of another marriage. And then she kissed them goodbye, and they all broke down, and they wept. Now, do you weep? You weep when you're... Something's meaningful when it's tugged at your heart. 
I think she loved Naomi. I think Naomi loved them. I know the scripture teaches that. Verse 10. No, they said, we want to go with you to your people. But Verse 11. But Naomi replied, why should you go on with me? Can I still give birth to other sons who could grow up to be your husbands? No, my daughters. Return to your parents' homes, for I'm too old to marry again. And even if it were possible, if I were going to get married tonight and bear sons, then what? Would you wait for them to grow up and refuse to marry someone else? No, of course not. My daughters, things are far more bitter for me than for you because the Lord himself has raised his fist against me. Here's what she says. Girls, I don't want you to rob the cradle. Look, I want you to, I want you to go off and you've been good to my boys, but they're dead. Amalek is dead. Go on back. And you, you kind of have to get into the history of this or you miss it. And then as Hannah stood there right before the song that they sang this morning, she read verse 16. I, I, would, I would draw a box around verse 16. Go ahead and draw a box. Let me just go ahead and give you permission in Jesus' name. Draw in your Bibles. Write symbols in your Bibles. Color in your Bibles. Use your Bibles. May your Bibles be tattered until Jesus comes again. I don't want to see Bibles like, oh, man, I never even looked at it. Let me go ahead and tell you, Donald, I'll tell you, one of the first things I'm going to do if I do your funeral, I'm going to ask somebody for your no, for your keys to your car. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to ask them for your Bible. And I'm going to look. And I'm going to see what kind of note taker you were and how you colored stuff and maybe how you read the Word of God on your own and how things became dog-eared and meaningful to you. So it, it, it's a powerful thing. Verse 16, I, I'll just put it in a box. It, it, it's, it's just profound. Wherever you go, I'll go. Wherever you live, I'll live. But I want you to see Romans 15, 4. I think Romans 15, 4 is going to come up here. Is it coming? Look, look at this passage. Such things were written in the Scriptures long ago to teach us. In the Scriptures, listen to this. I want you to circle this. In the Scriptures give us what? Hope. What gives you hope this morning? The Word of God. And, and what else does it give? It gives hope and it gives encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. If you want to be a person of hope, if you want to be a person of encouragement, find yourself in God's Word every day, hiding it in your heart that you won't sin against Him. Man, I, I love that passage in Scripture. Endurance, encouragement. But let's begin to work down through the outline this morning. There's the pain of loss. They've lost these men, these ones that I tell you. And, you know, I, I was reading it, it says, the number one objection to God is always the problem of pain. And there's a misnomer. People think, well, if God loved us so much, why would he allow this? Well, he's sovereign. He's God. He's working from a different perspective than our earthly, temporary perspective that we look up. But there's always a problem of loss. When you lose something, there's a problem. When, when you lose a loved one, when you lose a relationship. And I, I heard a story. Everybody know who Ted Turner is? You know that gazillionaire? You know what I didn't know about Ted Turner until this week? Ted Turner, at one time, was raised in a pretty strong Christian home. Ted Turner wanted to be a missionary. I never knew that till this week. Yeah, you're thinking, a missionary. He became a missionary, just a different kind. But you know what happened? When he was young, he had a sister. His sister had lupus. And he prayed every day. He prayed morning, noon, and night. He prayed faithfully for his sister. And his sister died. And you know what Ted Turner decided to do as a young man? He turned his back on God, and he walked away. Now, here's why I tell you that story. You can grow bitter with God, 
or you can turn your heart back toward God and let God come and invade and work in your life. Later, I know the story, he was married to a woman named Jane Fonda. Did you know she became a Christian many years ago and had a strong testimony for Christ for a season? I don't know where she's at exactly now, but there was a season. And he couldn't handle that. I guess it reminded him of the God of his youth because he wouldn't deal with his bitterness. We, we've got to deal with it. Here's what I want you to write down. Sometimes we make destructive choices in our decisions. And this book has some bad decisions. You don't grow hard when uh, things go hard in your life. Don't, don't let your heart grow hard when things go south, when things don't uh, happen the way you want. We can't, how many of you have decided you can't manipulate God? A lot of people ask me, you're one of them churches fasting. We are. Y'all trying to strong arm God out there at Christ Community? How's that working for you? I can't strong arm Abba. But he does tell us as children of God to fast and pray. And I believe we get clean and I believe we get some things right and I believe we seek him. But we don't fast and manipulate. Just write it down. We're not fasting to manipulate God. I'm begging God for miracles in the fast. I've got a whole list. And if you want to give me some, I'll pray for those during this fast. I'm, I'm asking God to do the miraculous because he's that kind of God. I want to give you a pastor. I think John, uh, is John 16, 33 going to come up? I don't, I don't maybe, maybe not. I want to give it to you. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. And in this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world, Jesus Christ. Jesus went ahead and said it. Look, in the world there'll be tribulation, there'll be persecution, there'll be hardships, there'll be great trouble. But overcome. So, move on to the next one, the problems of loss. So there's the pain of loss, now there's the problem of loss. You know, death abounds in this family situation. I've told my testimony. I won't get into it today. Death was abounding in our family, 1967 and 1968. Maybe death is abounding in your life. As you begin to age, you'll see more death in your life. But Naomi, I know this, Naomi is in a difficult place. Her theology is right. She believes God. She believes that God is in control. But she has a horrible perception. She goes, oh, woe is me. Oh, I'm bitter. Oh, I'm this. You know, man, God, he's given up. His strong fist is against me. Tough place. It'll come up on the screen for you. Wrong direction always equals the wrong destination. Let me say it again. Wrong direction always equals the wrong destination. What direction are you going? See, Imelech decided to go down this path, and he, and he went the wrong way, and it led to some tough consequences, some tough situations. Now, God used all this and used these characters, and we're going to see as we go through Ruth how powerful Ruth is. But I want you, I want you to tattoo that statement. Wrong direction always equals the wrong destination. Let me, let me say this. Out here is 85, and beyond 85 is the anointing. There's Auburn. And right past Auburn, you go to Atlanta. And you, to go to Atlanta, you go 85. Now, if I'm trying to go Mobile, and I get here on 85 every day this week, and I say, Jeff, we're going to Atlanta. And every week, we go north. But Jeff says, but you want to go to Mobile. Jeff, we're going to Atlanta here. You, or we're, going to, we're going to Mobile, but I keep going. See what I'm saying? The wrong direction. If you're going the wrong direction, it's always going to end up bad for you. And Christ wants to direct our lives. I mean, it's Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, and on and on and on. But dead ends and famines. This book, there's a famine in Bethlehem. There's no bread for the people. And you and I run into maybe not physical famines, but famines spiritually. We definitely run. How many of you run into any dead ends? 
<laughs> you, yeah, I got, I got that T-shirt. Well, let's talk about decisions or what happens in dead ends. Number one, dead ends and famines can be the mess that we've made. We have constituted, we have originated, we have done that ourselves. I wanted this, I want that, I desire that, I covet this, and you go for it. And you get it. And there's one thing about it. How many believe that God can forgive all our sins? How many of you believe you still have the consequences of sin? Absolutely. God doesn't remove the consequences. He gives grace. He gives mercy. Let's look at the next one. Dead ends and famines can be a mess someone else made. Sometimes other people make messes on our behalf. Don't you just thank them for that? But you suffer for their sin. The sin of the fathers, the, the generational curses. I mean, there's just many things we, we affect. We're affected by community. We're, uh, you know, Naomi and her husband. He, he goes the wrong direction. I mean, they have to deal with it. The third one. Sometimes famines, they, what they could do, they set the stage for a miracle. I like that one. Sometimes God takes, or he takes those dead ends, he takes those famines, and in his way, he can turn that upside right, and he can turn around for his glory. And maybe you're at a position that God's getting ready to do a miracle. How about at the Red Sea, when he parted the Red Sea? How about when the walls came down? All these scriptures, uh, stories in Scripture we see. But look at the fourth one. Sometimes dead ends can just be life. It's just the way it is. You, let me tell you this. I want you to hear this today. This is so critical. Life is not fair. Say that with me. Life is not fair. Well, Pastor, you're supposed to tell us something pretty and put a bow on it. No, no, no. I want to tell you the truth. Life's not fair. If life was fair, I'd be going straight to hell right now, but I forfeited that in the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ, and so did you. And I have so much more than I should ever have. You're saying, but, but Pastor, you don't have this. Don't, don't you have that? Pastor, you don't have a jet like some of those preachers. I know. What am I going to do with a jet, okay? Or, or Pastor, you don't have this. Let me tell you, life's just not fair. Some people got it, some people don't, but life's not fair. As Andy Stanley said, I've always remembered this. Fairness ended in the garden. It's not going to be right. Justice won't be complete until we get to heaven. So we move through this. Hope is on the way. Matter of fact, let me just take you here real quick. Go to chapter 4. Go to verse 22. Chapter 4, verse 22. This story, we'll, we'll cover it in depth, but it has a great ending. Now, I, I know you're like, why did he jump to the end? I just wanted to. Look at this. Obed was the father of who? Jesse. And Jesse was the father of who? There, there's some richness in this scripture as we're going to go through here. The, the lineage of Jesus Christ, our eternal king. And God's going to try to show us. I mean, the great, great, great granddad of Jesse, uh, the son was seven generations you know, removed, the, the baby boy Jesus. So what encourages us in, in hope? I want to talk about hope real quick. Let's look at the first point. Rediscover my purpose. What infuses hope? It's when I find and I discover or I rediscover the purpose for living in Jesus Christ. A short 15-second commercial. On Wednesday nights, if you're not coming, you ought to start coming Wednesday night, 6.30, the building next door, the theater. One of our elders, Ben Schottaker, is teaching the Old Testament survey. Awesome course. I recommend it. I'm leading our group through the blueprint for life. We had a room packed the other night. We've got room for you. We'll, we'll find somewhere. Come. We want to find the purposes here, but we begin to rediscover our purposes. Relief from pain and problems is what we see here in the Scripture. The, the principle here is that, as I was doing some study, I just thought about this principle. 
rediscovering our purpose. We need to learn to grieve well as a people of God. When we have tough situations and we have disappointments and we have loss and we have death, we need to learn to grieve well because that's part of the healing process. But we don't want to get stuck. We want to move forward, and the church said, because everybody in this room is going to have to face death, death of loved ones, death of friends, death of family. And we need to learn to grieve. And I think here in Scripture, I think they did. But we've got to move forward. Look at the second point. We've got to recognize what we still have. Ruth, the Moabite, really gets it right. She, I think she learned from her mother-in-law, Naomi. I think she heard the lessons of God. I think she learned really well. I think she got in on what God had. Now, Naomi got a little, little off course there, but I just ask us today, do we recognize what we have, how incredibly blessed and rich we are of God, what God's given us in Christ? And, uh, but let me say this. If we're not careful, we can get so focused on the problem, we forget what we have. And right now, we have so much. We have the riches of Christ. We have the riches of relationship. We have the fellowship of God. We have the enabling power of the Holy Spirit. We have brothers and sisters in Christ. So many of us have jobs and employment and paychecks and families and health. And if we don't have health, we might have the, we have the privilege of having medical attention and on and on. How many of you think you're blessed in here today? Absolutely we're blessed. We, we need to return and say, God, we're blessed. We, we have so much. But let me lead to this one. The third one, remember life is seasonal. Life was a, a winter difficult season for Naomi for Oprah, Oprah, Orpah. I'm, I'm saying I'm messing up now. Orpah and Ruth here. But look, guess what? It was only seasonal. And I want you to write, if, if you don't hear anything I said today, I want you to write this down. I want you to put this in a box on your notes. This, this is critical. God defines our life, not the situation. Let God define your life, not the situation. If you focus on the problem, if you focus on the situation, you're going to lose every time. But if you begin to focus about how great and how mighty and how big and how loving God is, and God, what do you have to say about it? We're going to come out victors. We're going to win. There's a couple steps back home that I want to close with this morning. Number one, we need to pursue obedience more than comfort. In this story, Ruth, she loves her mother-in-law. She goes, where you go, I'll go. Orpah, what does Orpah do? She, she's a good daughter-in-law. Her mom gave her permission, and she kissed her. Bye. We never read about Orpah again. But what did Ruth do? She clung. She was clinging. She didn't let go of her mother-in-law. She loved her. And we're going to continue this story, and we're going to see the good things that are going to come from the hand of God to the life of Ruth because of her obedience and faithfulness. Look at the second point. The best new chapters begin with faith and honesty. If you and I will have a fresh, alive, vibrant faith in Jesus Christ, if we'll be honest with God about the things of our life, we're on our way home. We're on our way to healing. Together, Ruth here is at one time an outcast. There's no celebration over it. It's tough. But she becomes an agent of hope to her mother-in-law. She becomes an agent, a vehicle, a medium of hope to you and me this morning. I'm so thankful 
And let me, I want you to hear this. God has a person of hope in everybody's life. How many of you believe that? God has people of hope that he's assigned to you. Start looking. No. Why don't you become a person of hope for somebody else? But I'll assure you, this room is filled with people that give hope because they found it in Jesus and they offer that hope to other people. That's the hope of the glorious gospel. And there's a season of harvest coming. We're going to see, we're going to pick up another character, Boaz, and all these just great stories. Only 80 verses, I said. But let's journey together through the book of Ruth. Let's pray, would you? Father, thank you that you have called us to be a people of hope and a people to follow you. And Lord, I pray that we might know Jesus and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. Lord, that's our prayer, that we would know you intimately, that we would learn to just not kiss you and say goodbye, but we would learn to cling to the rock. We would learn to embrace you. And Lord, I'm grateful that in this story, you bring beauty from ashes. And you can bring beauty from ashes in our lives. Where you lead, I will follow. Thank you for that song this morning, Lord. It's just it's running through my spirit. Where you lead, I will follow. We want to follow you, Jesus. Lord, we worship you. In the name of Christ, amen.